I just love that. <laughs> for all of you joining us today for another episode number 63, yeah. I oh. looked at the notes. Way to go. I looked at the notes. Oh, That's yeah. real to the crew in the back. Um, for all of, you, all of you who just saw that intro, it was the first time I saw the intro, and I hope you enjoyed it just as much as we did here. Yeah. Uh, Great. Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers, joined today by Chief Clinical Officer, Jason Friesma, mm -hmm. LPCLAC, All of the Things yeah. Therapy. Sweaters. Chief Operating Officer, Clint mm -hmm. Nicholson, LPCLAC, All of the Things Therapy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit, we're gonna do a little, Usually we're talking about external things related to peaks, recovery, things that we do, um, and how it kind of all works and comes together. Today we're gonna do a little dive into a little bit that we do at Peaks Recovery Center. So we're gonna talk a little bit about our curriculum, uh, one of the weeks of the curriculum, correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking about relationships, mm -hmm. kind of an important topic. For all of you out there, you have relationships, whether that's friends, family, significant others, animals, variety of different ways to talk about relationships, the meaning behind that, Jason Friesman is the expert. He wrote the curriculum, so we're going to antagonize him. Yeah, with a lot of help. Yeah. A lot of help. Yeah. He does need a lot of help. That's fair. I apologize. <laughs> to you. Clinton gave me a look there. Clinton helped in a big way. I did not actually. No, they, no. no help from him. <laughs> no. I was like, "What are relationships?" Yeah. yeah. He's a skeptic, actually. Yeah. This is this is why pins are put in the cushion and absolutely the yeah. at work. Anyways, absolutely. we're trailing off we're here. Welcome to this episode, Relationship Curriculum. Tell us a little bit about it, Jason. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. I, obviously, uh, when people enter the PEAKS program, usually there are some problems in their relationships. Like uh, oftentimes uh, people walk in, into PEAKS, whether it's for a mental health issue or substance use issue or both, uh, there's often a, a lot of, um, well, strained relationships, I would say. And so really we decided uh, to put relationships as part of our uh, intensive curriculum uh, because it's important, I think, for our clients to take a look at that. And obviously relationships and, and learning how to form them and, and be in connection with others, we look at as part of the solution uh, mm -hmm. for long-term recovery from, from mental health issues. So that's why it's in there. Okay. I think fundamentally, um, I think the basis, at least that I conceptualize looking at relationships is that we all have a need to be in relationship. Um, even Clinton uh, mm. has a need to be in relationships. It's a lot less than most people. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's, there. it's varying degrees yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, like we have a need, like it, it and um, and I think at our core, uh, if if I were to put it really succinctly, we we all long to be fully known and fully accepted, and. Um, we don't want everybody to know us like that. That's kind of living pretty boundaryless. But like, I think we all want a core group of people to fully know and fully accept us. And um, so with that at the core, uh, we kind of usually help clients uh, break down how they look at their own relationships, both with people and with uh, things and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of an overview maybe, Brandon? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, you bet. for educating me because you were doing those things and I am just witness to the things okay. within yeah. our work environment. Uh, so curious about it, you know, we talk about stabilization as a 40, you know, in our 45 day model, we have a stable, we call it the stabilization period, at least in that 30 to 45 day time frame. And so when we communicate things about relationships, how, like in a way it feels like 
I suppose if I were in that setting, I would feel you know like that could be less stabilizing to talk about relationships and walk through that. So you know maybe walk us through how that is a stabilizing feature of individuals who you know come into peaks either with mental health primary or SUD primary, uh, and what that looks like. Okay. So I think um, <clears throat> so our, our clients are often also aware that their relationships are in tatters, and and so. Um, certainly taking a look at relationships, at least initially, is not very stabilizing. In fact, it's kind of disruptive, um, uh, particularly when we do kind of our intensive days on Tuesday and Wednesday during relationship week. Uh, we do a particular exercise called circles of intimacy, which I can talk about in a minute if you would like. But, um, but, but our clients know that their relationships are strained. Um, sometimes clients take the perception that uh, I'm a victim, like I am the victim of my circumstances and the system that I am coming out of, um, I'm a victim of that and, and I need help or, um, or sometimes they come from the, the standpoint, sorry I got distracted by the ambulance there, but uh, sometimes they come from the standpoint that um, they recognize that they've pushed a lot of relationships that are important to them further uh, out from their life. So, um, so in the way, I'll circle around to the, or I'll go around to the circles of intimacy what we do is we have people um, kind of take, it, take a look at their relationships in their life. And actually, we have them uh, on different pieces of paper write down uh, up to 20 relationships. Sometimes it's with work or school, but uh, we do try to focus a fair amount on people um, and also uh, have them focus on activities that they may enjoy or not enjoy. Um, and sometimes uh, drugs of choice can go on there as well. And we, we have people examine where, as far as closeness uh, to their core, to be f being fully known and fully accepted, where each of these things fall in their life as they walk in. And, you know, I, I've, I've sat with a lot of people going through this exercise. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times, like, people, uh, you know, right in the middle of their circles of intimacy, the thing they're closest to is alcohol, for instance. And... And so to kind of visually see that like the alcohol has kind of created a scenario where I pushed out all the really important things in my life and the things in my core are the things that are not important for my life. Like oftentimes that's been a big realization as clients do this exercise is they find that, that they pushed out a lot of things that are important to them and then allowed a ton of things that aren't important to them to be their closest uh, relationships, I guess. And... Um, and that creates uh, a lot of disruption for our clients. It creates um, a fair amount of chaos. Uh, shame. And a ton of shame. And, um, and as you know, if you've watched any of our episodes about shame, you know that what perpetuates shame is uh, not talking about it. And <laughs> the irony is that when your relationships are in tatters, that's the last thing you want to do is talk about any shame you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so um, it creates a pretty significant cycle down. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that we certainly notice too is uh, um, when people live kind of a boundaryless life, they they allow really dangerous people in to be really close to them. Like for instance, a drug dealer or uh, just a friend that's taking advantage of them, and so that's who they allow in, and that usually causes important relationships to become detached and distant, um, and it leads to a lot of chaos in people's lives. Or the other alternative that I've seen a fair amount of people come in with is they push all the relationships really far away because of their shame around mm -hmm. either substance use or their mental health. And that just leads to just uh, feelings of significant loneliness. And so um, 
when we when clients come in and kind of see all this and receive feedback around it, um, then we ask them to kind of look aspirationally and how do you how do you want your relationships to look moving forward? And we literally shift them around on the board and then say, how do you how do you draw on your brother to be closer and how do you set some boundaries so this person is further away from you and that sort of thing. So that's kind of what the intensive part of that looks like and um, <clears throat> though I'm kind of describing it uh, you know kind of this higher level like it is fairly intense to write down all of your relationships and uh, to lay them out and, and to kind of look at maybe uh, sort of the mess somebody's created in their life and then um, to kind of find the solution and what that might look like uh, can be really important as well. Well, and when you lay out your relationships and you kind of see the chaos that's been created, um, it also strongly correlates to your value system, right? You find out that you're also living outside of your value system yeah. and how really that constellation of relationships is really representative of something even greater than that. So, but, so it's a good entry point yeah. a lot of times to, for even greater discussions after that. Mm -hmm. um, so I had, I had an intervention two and a half years ago. You might remember oh. Jason. Cause, Was I there? Because you were there. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> doing the things and like, no, I'll go later. And you're like, no, you go now. Yeah. Um, so I had a little, little thing going on. Jason caught it. So I went for five days, did this trauma-intensive thing. And uh, I share that because upon arrival, as we got probably two to three days into this process, um, uh, I was in a group of, of five, uh, with, or five total. There were three females and another male in the room. And as we started getting into the trauma work, all of this externalization happened like right in front of me. And these three women were like, oh, I, I, I know my problem now. I got, a, I got a divorce. I got to break up with. I got to get this guy out of my life uh, sort of experience. And so the circle of intimacy um, resonates with me, or at least through that experience, because it feels like it's how a lot of people are walking in. If these people weren't in my life, I would be better in here. If these yeah. people weren't in my life, I wouldn't be drinking the way that I do sort of experience. And it sounds like the circles of intimacy actually allows individuals to see that actually what is the problem at the center of their life are not the relationships and the people around, but this thing called alcohol, you know, yeah. heroin and so forth. So No, I think you're exactly right. And and there isn't a lot of times that we we stop for a second to kind of examine like maybe I feel off a little bit or something isn't kind of clicking in my life and they need to kind of take a look at um, my relationship with my job or my relationship with alcohol or my relationship with the gym or, or lack thereof or whatever it might be and um, and it kind of peaks I think particularly during this week allows uh, people to take that moment and, and to, to do some of that examining and to to lay it out kind of graphically and then to say okay where do I want it to go absolutely and then um, Clint's favorite question is then okay how yeah how do I bring people closer or how do I move social media way further out from my from these circles and invite real relationships in or how do I move fitness like I mean usually when people come in fitness and exercise and all those things are on the periphery of people's lives and, and they uh, aspire to kind of move that sort of thing in as well but I think that's the great part of circles of intimacy is it creates space for repair like it's not just about you just need to go it there's a it gives a, a, a really clear very vivid constellation of why, of what is impacting what, and also gives you this kind of uh, this map on how to fix it, or at least begin to address it. So, yeah. yeah. And in that, in that example you gave, Brandon, like you know, on day one or day two or whatever of, of the intensive you you participated in, 
I don't think that's necessarily the best time to make big okay. life decisions. Yeah, um, yeah. take a couple <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> take a minute. Yeah. And so, you know, Sleep oftentimes, like when, when people kind of have that reaction of like, man, I need to like blow this up or whatever. You know, I, I like to then say, well, then there's probably some conversations in a process and you need to kind of begin to identify maybe what boundaries you need to put in place or what mm -hmm. things you need to be communicating um, or expectations or whatever that you need to kind of implement in your life. Um, and, and I just don't, I don't think you're at a, you know, this is what I'll say. I, I just don't think you're necessarily at a crossroad quite yet on that. And, and that may be a crossroad you reach and you may have to take that divorce path in that example. But like, you're not at that exit yet. Right. <laughs> is usually what yeah. I like to say. Like Might feel like the exit. Yeah, right? for but. sure. And you're having these realizations and it's an emotional flood for sure. But well, and what's missing a lot of times in those in the relationships that with these dynamics is just space, right? There's just not enough breathing room and enough uh, space to see things objectively. Mm -hmm. And again, I think having a, a sort of intervention strategy like circles, circles of intimacy, it literally puts it outside of you and gives you some actual physical space to kind of look at and view it from a different angle. So, you know, one of the things that I think is challenging in our industry, you know, you, you can read about a doctor who, you know, goes in on a patient and does a surgery and, you know, replaces their heart, organ transplants, mm -hmm. shattered bones, like really extraordinary procedures and they suture them all back up and they get well in the process and it seems like there's something like, I don't know, just really big happening in there. And what I mean by that or introducing that is like some of these concepts in the clinical world feel like very straightforward and like simple. And I think that some of the expectations I experienced from like family systems at times is like you guys are about to perform rocket science on these people. Mm -hmm. um, and though it's not rocket science, there's something very powerful happening just like the heart surgery, the shattered arm, those instances. And um, I just want to talk a little bit more about like the power that you see from it uh, as people walk through those experiences. I, I, I actually really appreciate you saying that. Like I, I, think, I think a lot of clinical intervention is not rocket science in a lot of ways. It's, but it is about, um, it's about holding space, which I think we've talked about on here. Like, like sometimes, like I think it's what we try to do actually as we sit here in front of these cameras is sit here and hold some space for a good discussion um, and some, some thoughtfulness around it. And that, that's a key component. And then certainly there might be some insights and all that. And maybe, you know, when clients laid out, you know, I, my favorite part is when other clients are offering their own insights and feedback. But, it, but it's just a few sentences or a few observations. And I don't know what those, that example you gave, like, these women heard something that was like, I, I'm seeing things, like the scales are falling from my eyes. I can see clearly now. Um, and, uh, and to your point, that isn't a, an eight hour long surgery where there's pins and rods and all that and somebody's shattered arm. But like, I do think, um, I do think these simple tools um, provide kind of the format maybe for the magic work, if you will, of, of therapy to work. Yeah, I guess. Um, you love that word magic. I know. Magic, yeah. yeah. I'm super into magic. Yeah. 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 So, Slytherin house, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, so medical 
science has one thing going for it, and that's that you can see it, right? Yeah. Like there's a there's a, phys a visual moment that's happening, but the reality is like underneath that cast, underneath that um, suture, whatever the case may be, all of those pins and needles are still very fragile. And it is months and sometimes years and years of healing that actually still has to happen in order for that, that, um, that limb to repair completely. And to some degree, it might never actually repair completely, right? I think that we're doing the same thing a lot of times. We are actually like setting pins and we are setting bones and we're setting these sort of emotional spaces for people that allow them the opportunity to once as they progress in life to to kind of transform into who they want to be and to be able to cre create the relationships that they're actually that they've actually wanted the whole time mm -hmm. so if they come into the process around relationships and say something like okay i'm going to divorce my husband tomorrow that's the problem they do intimacy of relationship actually like Maybe the alcohol is the problem. Maybe I want to bring, yeah. you know, like husband a little bit closer in that regard. But the initial energy is like zero to 60 divorce. Mm -hmm. How do we ensure that the next direction is in zero to 60 come and I'm going to love you is like, I'm just going to do the exact mm -hmm. opposite yeah. of this divorce thing and just love you in the way like I met you for the first time. Right. Because it, it especially around substance use disorders, there's an intensity mm -hmm. of use, and then that intensity translates into exercise, relationships, all the other things that normally the intensity is being put into the drugs and alcohol, now it's being put in all these things. Um, but if you're that wife, husband or whatever, that went through these experiences, and now you're just coming out and saying, I love you all of a sudden, right? They're wounded, you know, they're going through their own struggles, and so how, how do we in like a relationship week, um, you know, uh, nurture, them not doing the zero to 60 thing, but incrementally in the how aspect, moving toward the goal rather than racing toward the goal? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And, and I like your, your zero to 60 metaphor just gives me the opportunity to say, what does five miles an hour look like? Like you, you can just ask a client that. And like having some ideas around what that might look like. Um, and I've certainly, um, I've certainly given like couples uh, the metaphor of like, yeah, um, your old marriage may be over, but this relationship may not be over. Like you may need to rebuild a new marriage. Like that, that other one was full of uh, deception and lies or, or infidelity or whatever. And that does need to probably die, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship with this person needs to go away. And how do we, how do we begin to navigate that? And then also kind of, you know, truthfully, um, in our family program and, and what we teach our clients too is just really again simple and basic communication strategies yeah. um, uh, like even even had to format a weekly meeting between a couple to just kind of discuss some of the harder things that would either be avoided or would come up all the time like how do we kind of build some containers around difficult conversations to not avoid or not flood the flood the zone with that either like so I think there are ways to build in kind of a breaking mechanism to keep Absolutely. from going zero yeah. to 60 because it'll, it'll fail, right? Like I, or I'll just say, like, you got to let the concrete dry a little bit before you can uh, build on top of that. And so um, I think you pick up on a really important piece, too. It, like, all these things are measured. And to your point, like, the intensity, like, people do sometimes just be cra crave that intensity and... And part of it, too, is like some empathy building, like, okay, yeah, you're in here and you're, we're talking about this eight hours a day or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And your yeah. partner is at work. Yeah, yeah the rate of recovery <laughs> yeah. is much different. They're thinking about absolutely. this like 20 minutes a day tops, right. and mostly they're angry. So, like, 
Yeah. If you if you that they're going to try to jump on the treadmill at you know 20 miles an hour, like they're just going to fly off the back of this thing. Like we got to slow down and build some empathy there. Yeah, and that's where boundaries are really effective as yeah. well, right? They're kind of like a natural speed bump, right? Just slows things down a little bit. But really, I think it's the rate of recovery that is something that really has to be explained to people because. Uh, you know, they're healing at a pretty significant rate, even though it might not be um, a magical, like immediate thing, con considered in comparison to the people that are sort of on the outside of the programming, they're moving at a really, really rapid clip. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's not gonna be even when you meet up on the outside. Why, why relationships and not some other concept? And, and I think the thing that I'm trying to get at here is, is that uh, relationships are fairly triggering, especially for individuals involved with drugs and alcohol and even mental health uh, issues or, you know, even without all those things, just a, a family system or a relational mm -hmm. system without boundaries or ways to communicate with each other can drive a ton of frustrations, the divorce rates in America, all those sort of things right. uh, that we have. But uh, in that way, I mean, I guess what's the biggest part that nurtures in the future resilience around craving states or um, triggered states and those types of things? Because uh, we're still, I, I mean, the question feels rhetorical when I'm answering because it feels like if we get these things right, we're less triggered, um, we're slowing things down into the future, we're, we're discovering these processes, um, and that can also be a beautiful thing. I, I mean, maybe this relationship failed, like you said, but this, rela uh, this relationship can really thrive under these new circumstances. And so, um, you know, but to, the, to just kind of keep it, I guess, a little bit more attuned with those trigger states and substance use disorders, you know, why relationships um, is such an important aspect to communicate maybe by comparison to some other week that we're doing. <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, uh, when you're asking that question, what I'm thinking of is we, I would like for our clients to build significant enough relationships that when they are in the parking lot of the liquor store about to walk in, yeah. they will pick up their phone and call somebody rather than walk in. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when they're thinking about coming off their meds, they'll actually have enough of a relationship and care in the people around them that they'll be like, I don't feel like taking my meds anymore in the family. Uh, but what do you think? Like, I think. Like to me, that's, that's the goal, right? Like we can put in all these tools, but inside of that is this, um, this emotional intimacy that, that if it's built correctly, then, then you don't have a family that you're just trying to prove yourself or you're trying to make them happy or appease them. You have friends and family that are around you where you can say, hey, I'm having this struggle. Um, can you support me? Rather than catch me if you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna try to present myself in, in a positive enough light that you won't see that I'm struggling, and instead to say, I'm at the liquor store and about to walk in, talk me out of it. Mm -hmm. Give me two reasons why I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. To kind of, hopefully the relationships can poke through that craving state that you described. Right. So, yeah. Uh, just and it, enough. And it seems like too, you know, the, in the parking lot of the liquor store, right, calling, you know, maybe wife or husband or whoever in that moment is also walking through uh, a shame experience too, right? Uh, you're the last person I want to call, but I know it's the right call at the same time as well too, and allows a person to get through that and, act, and then creates that, all, that additional level of healthy communication of, hey, do you need me to come sit with you? You know, uh, can we meet up somewhere? You know, those types of things. Mm -hmm. It seems like it really just compounds on itself to create this real positive value that allows the person maybe in that moment to actually drive away from the liquor store in a way that they would have been there with shame regardless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
gone through it as an experience, ignored the conversation, knowing it was going to add shame to it, somehow try to hide it, Breathman or something, gets home, and then experiences more shame because they know that's coming because they just made up a story about how they tripped and fell and a bottle of liquor fell in their hands. Or, you know, yeah. so, so. But if we, can, if we can teach families, because like on the other end of that is, you know, we see it in our family programming, like when we talk about relapse being possible or like learning how to listen and talk about craving states or triggers and that sort of thing, like families get very afraid. Mm -hmm. And teaching families that like, hey, if somebody comes to you and they says, I'm triggered, like that's a great sign. That's, that's trust building. <laughs> and don't panic or like it's not a time to necessarily go to shame or anything like that. So we can teach families to talk about it when triggers and cravings are low. I think it's the building blocks too to be like, I'm at a nine and I need a movie or I need to go on a drive or I need something. Like I, I think it builds kind of that structure to like mm -hmm. communicate about the hard times too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, healthy relationships are 50% of recovery. You know? I think regardless of if it's substance use or mental health, healthy relationships are how we stay healthy as human beings. And um, it may sound simple, and maybe, again, there, there might be more clever topics to, to bring up in a treatment episode, but if you don't have healthy relationships, you don't have stability. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and, and it, for me, to be absolutely clear, I mean, we're, we're the only treatment center or counselors, you know, talking about relationships in this world. It's a really big topic, and, and in, even though it presents as simple maybe to some somatic experiencing trauma, you know, therapeutic intervention taking place that has a little bit more oomph in its, yeah. you know, sort of title. It's a little sexier. <laughs> a little yeah, sexier, sure. a little, yeah. little more curb appeal on the side of it. <laughs> um, we can't do that type of work without these foundational Absolutely. things in place. It feels like these are, the, these are the priorities to get right, and then from there we can move into more of these uh, intensive trauma work or intensive focus on, you know, family systems and that sort of stuff. Um, so the building blocks make sense. Um, and so what comes off as simple as, uh, or not rocket science at the end of the day has an incredible amount of power and that Absolutely. has to be the takeaway. Um, not because we insist on it here at Peaks, but because we witness it each and every day that we walk through um, at least this week of our curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, to kind of carry us out in that how format, right? You know, I go, I do my five days, Jason Friesma made me, okay, I'm done <laughs> yeah, with it. What I, sure. That individual therapy, everything I've experienced, you know, on the other side of that, I think one of the real powerful features of clinical um, interventions is it's, it creates a ton of awareness about who we are, moves blinders about the situation that we're walking through, uh, and there's an incredible power to that, and there's almost like a feeling, my feeling, just to share it, in particular, of walking away like, I got this, easy. Uh, through that awareness, I know where the harm's coming from, I know how to like put all these places, you know, the, all these things intact, and then I show up in my household, and I see my wife, and it's like, dang it, it's still hard to say I love you, <laughs> yeah. you know, or something around that, uh, in that regard, and from a neuroplasticity, you know, standpoint of, you know, long-term healing in the brain, 50% reduction in outcomes after year one, um, uh, in relapse outcomes, 85% reduction after year two, less than 5% after year five, takes an incredible amount of time just for the brain to heal around craving states, the physiological brain states, right? And it's going to take an, not an incredible amount of time, I don't want to use too big of a words here, but it's going to take time to get those relationships right, to get those things intact, to 
move past that first conversation, that first I love you when I get home, into the second I love you, and into I love you and here's some flowers, and, you know, and really building upon those uh, things. So you know, maybe what advice can we give to like family systems watching, individuals who maybe did relationships at peaks or outside of peaks and you know, thought they had it, maybe struggling a little bit about you know, in the same way that we got to nurture those craving states over years as a time frame, how we can kind of put the best foot forward and maybe strategies for supporting that endeavor. I mean, I, I think there's a, a few fold things. First of all, you know, I've known a few people that have done kind of those intensive weeks and usually there's one or two people that stay in connection for long periods of time because they need that support to be like, hey, is this harder for you <laughs> on the back <laughs> yeah. end of this? Because like, this is tough. Um, and then I know, like, like I, I literally, we have, we ask our families to set up meetings weekly. Pick a day, pick a time, it's one hour, list out eight or ten questions that you want to ask and go over. Are you experiencing cravings? Are you taking your meds? Did you see your count? Whatever it is you want to do, but, like, we script it out. And they walk yeah. out, and there's an appointment, 6 p.m. on Tuesday. This is what we're going to talk about. And, um... And the families that I'm aware of that, that do this and follow up on it, um, they, they build, it's like building this tool and then organic conversation comes out of that. Usually after two or three months of doing that, they don't need to do it anymore because it was kind of this arbitrary, or not arbitrary, but it was, it was a clunky, uh, pragmatic uh, solution to some of this. Um, that could that then transition into being organic once once they got the conversation piece down so setting these little things because the other thing is okay these questions then you can't ask them the rest of the week like let them give space and like and then we have these other activities to like help build and nurture your relationship with one another as well but like so I think there's some really pragmatic things uh, to say this is going to be hard and here's how you lean into some of these conversations I mean, Jason is I know, saying I, pragmatic, yeah, so yeah. I, pragmatic, this is pragmatic. probably one of the best days of my yeah. life. <laughs> uh, uh, it, I 100% I agree. It's, it's strategy, right? It's simplicity. It's, a, it's intentionality. And more than anything, it's practice. It takes practice. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be good at it right away. And I think having realistic expectations and then using these really pragmatic strategies, you kind of have to start from scratch to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And... You know, just to kind of make it true on that medical side of things for like what we do, maybe peaks is the cast and we put all the pins and uh, needles and everything in the arm, suture it up. And then when you leave after 45 days, you're sort of stable enough to take the cast off. But from there, you're in any medical, any, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor slash scientist, but <laughs> I want to say any medical condition of that um, major disruption in the way that mental health and addiction are is going to require that ongoing yeah, like physical therapy yeah physical kind of therapy yeah. all of those things in place to really get it right and really get it corrected and as you go through those processes even though it's healed you're going to think oh it's actually not fully healed yeah, it's yet weak or, you know it's yeah, weak yeah. And, and actually and I want to be yeah, over yeah. here but I can't get there fast enough and so there's a, all those stressors that come with this incremental approach within mental health and substance use disorder are also true for all these medical disorders. And I think we've gotten so good as a society of separating the yeah. two and saying this is a real sciencey thing that's happening over here and we're just talking about relationships over here. 
Um, but both of them have the same setup for foundation creation and then leveling up into physical therapy and an ongoing intensive outpatient over here. Mm -hmm. And then all molding into the position where like I can actually throw a pitch now because after my arm was shattered and I can actually walk into a room and be relational with my wife in a way that I've never been before and without drugs and alcohol uh, in that way. And I think this is, these are, this is often missed within the nature of it not feeling like rocket science in the, you know, in the beginning at the end of the day. So just wanted to hit that home. And I think kind of as a, you know, a, a takeout here, uh, you know, encourage family systems, the viewers out there, individuals in relationships or otherwise to think about how you walk into your house each and every day at the end of your job, you're tuckered out, you're tired, all of those things. What does it look like for you to walk into that home? And, and out of this sort of walking away too is, is to experience your own difficulties and showing up in the way that you did on day one of whatever relationship you're in, whether it's a friend, a significant other or, or otherwise, day one, when we're all giddy in our first relationships, we just do whatever and we bring the flowers and we do all those things and somehow we move away from those things as experiences. So what's true for individuals at, who experience substance use disorder and mental health is also true for the general population. Our divorce rates wouldn't be so high if it weren't true at the end of the day. And invite everybody to find a counselor, somebody in their life to help them help bring you closer to relationships because they're so valuable and I think more than ever, without making any grand statements, I think relationships as a communal feature are just so valuable in today's society. And so encourage everybody to think about that on the other side. It's not just a problem for substance use disorder and mental health. I think it's a community problem that we're all experiencing at any given time and just push a little bit to, to consider it a little bit further in your own time. So unless you guys want to are inspired by anything else to add to that? I think it's perfect. All right. Drop it. Drop, yeah. them. Yeah. Drop, them. Drop it. Love you all. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of Finding Peaks. Finding Peaks at peaksrecovery.com. Send me an email telling me how perfect your relationship is, Brandon. <laughs> uh, you missed the point there. I do everything great. Um, <laughs> also find us on the Twitters, the, uh, the other social medias, the Facebooks. Are you all doing Facebooks? Hey, you're all still doing Facebook, yeah, Instagrams. Uh, what, is, what is the Chris Burns thing? TikTok. TikTok. The TikTok, the heart days, the pounding of the chest. Follow Chris Burns on Peaks Recovery as well, too. Until next time, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Yeah.